Welcome to episode 103 of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. You'll probably have noticed that this week's episode is a little on the late side and the main reason for this is because I'd received enough mail from people interested in the Hokkaido workshop to make it worthwhile my putting some time into actually planning it out more and seeing if it's really viable. So starting last weekend I did just that, I planned it all out and I started to put together um, an itinerary, an itinerary, I always get that wrong, and uh, I made a lot of uh, phone calls and created a new website for the workshop and uh, if you're at a computer right now take a look at www.mbpworkshops.com and I'll put a link in the show notes too so that if you aren't at a computer you can check it out later. Um, it's just a simple website though, not uh, nothing fancy. Um, I, I really wanted to just concentrate on getting the information out to you, but that's what it basically does. It gives you all of the information that you'll um, need or all that I can foresee you'll need to decide on whether or not you want to join us um, at this, uh, you know, on the, for the Hokkaido workshop. And if anything's still not clear, having uh, taken a look at the page and listened to this podcast, uh, but you are interested in coming along, please do drop me a line at uh, workshops at martinbaileyphotography.com uh, or contact me via the forum or um, you know, with the contact form on the Martin Bailey Photography website. Anyway, this has taken up all of my free time over the last weekend and for the last few evenings, so um, I wasn't able to prepare a podcast, but I have, uh, you know, I've got a, a lot of information here, so I figured that it would like kill two birds with one stone if I was to just make this a a workshop special um, and just give you pretty much the information that I've put on the website and more. I uh, just basically want to give you enough uh, information to help you understand what it's all about. Firstly, I have to tell you that I'm really getting excited about the workshop now that I've started to look look into it and do all of the planning. And I'm also really looking forward to meeting you guys, the you know, the people that do join us in Hokkaido next year for what I've started to affectionately call the Winter Wildlife Wonderland Workshop. And it's a bit of a tongue twister and that's not going to be the official name, so don't worry. Uh, but it really does sum up Hokkaido and, you know, Hokkaido is basically situated at the very top of Japan, the northernmost island. Um, looks a little bit like a um, a diamond shape, sitting at the top of the banana-shaped island of main island of Japan. And it's um, it's not just an incredibly beautiful place, but uh, because of the weather there, the climate, um, it's also home to some amazing wildlife. And you'll see the majestic Japanese red-crowned crane. Uh, stellar sea eagles, white-tailed eagles, um, that's that's the main big birds that we'll see. Uh, there's also the Ezo deer, and Ezo is just basically a Japanese word for Hokkaido. Um, and a lot of these, uh, the, the um, species of animals are uh, specific to Hokkaido, but um, they often just put the Ezo on there for, for plants as well and anything that's really um, of Hokkaido. And uh, if we're lucky, we'll see some uh, Ezo Kitsune, which is uh, the Hokkaido fox. And maybe, um, I'm still looking into this, but maybe we'll be able to find somewhere that we can go and see some owls as well. 
So on the itinerary, though, um, we'll definitely see the first four foxes if we're lucky um, and owls if I can figure out how to do that. Um, as the winter is pretty harsh in Hokkaido because of the weather system that sort of drops down from Siberia and the first place it hits is Hokkaido, uh, there'll be um, some breathtaking winter landscapes that we'll try to pull in as much as we can as well. For those that have listened to the podcast for a while, you'll know that I'll be able to help you out with all sorts of shooting situations, as well as keeping you busy with shooting ideas and some mini assignments that I'll be planning um, you know, for the shoots that while we're there. I'll also be making sure that you do um, know everything that you need to know to keep yourself and your camera going in some pretty harsh weather conditions. I will be on hand the whole time to give advice, ad hoc advice as necessary, and also instructions on how to improve your photography um, for those that want it. For those that don't, I'm, I'm thinking that you maybe will uh, just be able to sort of eavesdrop on the conversation, um, figure out you already know it, and then uh, and then go off and enjoy the shooting. But the majority of um, of the time, I'll be handing out uh, snippets of advice, and we'll do some structured. Uh, instruction as well as we go on um, and then you know as we do sort of make our way around this winter wonderland um, I'll you know we'll spend a, a certain amount of time on a bus and I'll I'll sort of be giving you tips and tuition um, while we're actually on the bus to, to make us so that we can use the time as best possible um, and that will really be preparing us for the specific location that we're heading towards um, and you know, there's going to be a lot of different ways that I will hand this information out, um, and really, uh, you know, that, I think we should save a lot of that for the actual workshop. Uh, we will have sessions at the hotel as well, and hold review sessions, um, you know, of our images as we start to sort of, you know, fill our memory cards up, and uh, you know, if you bring laptops or viewers, I'm also probably going to be able to take a laptop so that we can use that to actually view and review um, images taken during the day or during the previous days and sort of build that into the uh, the, the whole learning experience. Um, so what that will allow us to do though is, you know, if we do, I find that if you do look, one of the, the amazing things about digital is that you get the instant feedback. So we'll be able to see um, what went well and what didn't go so well and then hopefully, you know, the the hints and, you know, the, the different techniques things that I sort of start to relay out to uh, to the attendees will uh, basically help us to sort of improve our techniques as the workshop progresses. I've spoken to people over the years, um, you know, many people have said to me that they'd love to come to Japan and shoot here, but have shied away because of the language barrier. And if you're one of these people, then uh, there's no need to worry. But without trying to blow my own trumpet too much, I'm totally fluent in Japanese, uh, both written and spoken, and we'll be able to help out as much or as little as you want, and you might even be able to pick up uh, some Japanese while you're here. So, apart from those that uh, have been shying away because of the language barrier, who is this workshop for? Well, really, it's anyone that can stand the cold weather and loves wildlife and nature photography, and anyone that wants to improve their photography while shooting the shots of a lifetime. Note that most of the tutoring will assume a basic um, level of understanding of photography um, and of your equipment, but 
photographers of all skills and levels are, are very, very welcome. Even if you are an advanced or a professional photographer, you'll definitely benefit from this workshop and it'll sort of it'll definitely take give you the opportunity to take away some new skills and certainly some great photos. I've made some of the keywords on the web page that I've put together uh, into links and they'll show you some example shots, uh, the sort of subjects that you'll be able to shoot while we're there. Uh, so you can click on these links and just, you know, they're, they're like, some of them are like little mini albums. And once you open the new, uh, well, you move to the new page to display the larger photo, you'll have the back and forward buttons um, below the image so that you can sort of click through them. And I've also added a row of thumbnails in the middle of the page to add some visual elements there and to point out to um, five or six of my favorites from the batch. Uh, so where will we go? There is a table with an itinerary in the middle of the page, uh, but to quickly go through the details, we'll meet at around 7 a.m. at Haneda Airport, which is about 30 minutes by train from Tokyo. And obviously it depends where on the train you get, where you get on the train in Tokyo. Um, uh, Haneda Airport is mostly for domestic flights, so you'll actually fly in to a different airport called Narita Airport if you're coming in from another country. You'll need um, to make your way into Tokyo and then across to Haneda. I believe that there may also be connecting buses as well, um, but you know, be warned it's a few hours. So when you start to plan your flights, you definitely it's early morning, so unless you can come in on a very early red eye, um, you'll probably need to come in on the Sunday, um, which is why I've made it the uh, the workshop start from a Monday, um, because I appreciate that you know Japan is a long haul for most people, especially if you're coming from the US. Um, so if you if you do want to come in on the you know it'll give you time to finish your your job on the Friday, and then hopefully fly on Saturday, arrive on Sunday, um, and then you'll be you'll be able to spend a night somewhere on the Monday, uh, the Sunday night, and then get up nice and early to come and meet us at Haneda on the Monday morning. And if you want any help with those, um, with your arrangements, you know, while you are here, um, then please just, just let me know and I'll see what I can do. I should be able to point you in the right direction or give you help on booking um, some hotels and things for the, for the night or a few nights before, depending on how long, how early you come into Japan. If you're already in Japan, then it won't be such a big deal for you. You can probably make it to Haneda in that morning if you're relatively close to Tokyo. Uh, but even then, if you live away off from Tokyo and you want help with anything like that, please do let me know. Uh, so we'll we'll fly out um, from Haneda at, uh, I think, shortly before 9 a.m. And we'll be heading for the Kushiro Airport and we'll arrive mid-morning. It's only an hour and a half or so flight. Uh, we will then have a chartered bus with a professional driver that will meet us at the exit of the airport. And this is good because you really need someone that knows how to drive on the icy roads um, and often in bad weather, very bad conditions that we have in Hokkaido. So um, it's it's going to make it much safer and much more comfortable for us to have a uh, you know a professional driver. And unless we um, sell like two or three times more seats than I'm expecting we're going to do, we'll have two seats each on the bus as well so that we'll be able to just drop our camera bags down on, on the seat next to us. Plus we'll have a trunk to keep all of our clothes and cases in as we move around. We won't be staying in the same hotel um, 
for any more than one night. You know, we're going to move around the eastern side of Hokkaido quite a lot, as I'll start to explain. Uh, but first off, we'll spend about uh, 20 to 30 minutes going from the Kushiro Airport to the Akan International Crane Center. And by the way, if you're, you know, I'm going to include a number of images today, uh, but I'll just call out the number and not go into details on each image. I've spoken about most of them anyway before. Um, but really, I just want to concentrate on explaining about the workshop. So one of my favorite crane shots is actually a close-up. I've got lots of them in flight or of them dancing, um, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to include them. But I did want to just sort of briefly point you at image number 1203, uh, which you'll be able to see now in iTunes or on your iPod, if it's an iPod photo. Uh, and it's also included in the MP3 files if you listen to those and your player allows you to flick through them. Um, and you can also see them on the MVP Workshops website that I mentioned earlier or from my podcasts page at martinbaileyphotography.com. When we get into the Akan International Crane Centre, we will spend anything up to the whole day. Um, it'll be like two-thirds of a day once we get there. Um, shooting the cranes and trying out some techniques. Before we even get there, I'll have talked to you uh, during the, the bus trip there um, through the best ways to meter these high contrast scenes and your camera modes, things like that. And we'll also start to put that um, into practice straight away once we, once we get into the center. And, uh, you know, it, it's really just a great place. I've never seen there, I've never been there when there's been less than at least a good handful of cranes and there's usually many more we um we don't we won't have to travel far after this to our hotel for the first night but i'm going to keep open the possibility of leaving the akan uh, international crane center a little bit early um, and heading for the town in which we'll stay uh, because that is where the Ito Crane Sanctuary is uh, that I visited last December and did a number of podcasts on. Um, so really, you know, we're going to stay a little bit flexible there. And it will depend on how many cranes there are at the Akan Center. But um, if there aren't so many, we'll move to the Ito Crane uh, Sanctuary before daybreak. And then um, when we get there, we'll start to... Um, practice some panning shots and as it starts to get darker so we get slower shutter speeds and uh, you know and this travel also won't be in vain as I say because we're actually planning to stay in the Tsurui village itself. Once we get to the hotel you'll have a chance to take probably your or possibly your first bath in one of those large Japanese baths and uh, then we'll all sort of get together in a large room for dinner and we can then start to reflect on the day and take a look at uh, some of our images um, and then you know really obviously we'll only be able to do that if if you've got the ability to actually get to go through them and choose a few good ones um, and also I'll, I'll try and figure out some way whether it's um, on on a laptop that I'll take or whether it's allowing us to sort of connect up to a TV or something but I'll try and find some way so that we can review these images as a group and uh, and then really we'll you know while during dinner we can continue to talk about those and then i'll start to discuss what will be in store for the following day and i'll continue to then inject techniques and uh, you know certain amounts of tuition and that way you know really we'll be able to uh, you know continue 
the learning experience throughout the day. And then really we'll, uh, you know, we'll start to improve on our techniques and, uh, and make this a real learning experience as, as we go through the workshop and the tour. We can have a few beers and get to know each other better as well. And uh, the thing is, we'll have to try not to overdo it as we have uh, to be somewhere before dawn the following morning. So on Tuesday the 29th, we'll head over to Ottawa Bridge. And if you listen to episodes 71 to 74 of the podcast, you might remember that this means the Sound of Wings Bridge. And this is exactly what we'll be there for, to hear the sound of wings of the Japanese red crown cranes, but hopefully not before photographing them in a misty river, and looking down onto a misty river as the first light starts to catch the mist. And uh, I, I don't want to get your hopes up too high here. It, it has to be minus 15 degrees Celsius or 5 degrees Fahrenheit for the mist to form on the river at dawn. And I've visited this spot a number of times and not yet caught this. Um, I did see photographs from a guy that did catch it the day before I was there last December. Um, a little bit vexing, but uh, you know that's, that's the thing with photography. You can't control the weather. But we will be there at a time of year when it's very, very likely that, uh, that we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be putting ourselves in the best possible position to get that look. Um, but I, I would say that the chances are probably, um, I don't know, maybe 10, 20, 30%. I really don't know. Um, if we're lucky, we'll get the chance of some great shots there. Um, you can see a shot that I got from the bridge last December um, without the mist, and that is image number 1253. The cranes actually only gather here when it's cold um, because the water, you know, because the water isn't frozen. It's actually uh, warmer for them to stand in a, in a freezing, icy cold water river than it is to stand out on, on hills and in the open. Uh, so if there are no cranes here uh, because it's uh, a little too warm, well, warm, um, by warm I mean it's not quite as um, far below freezing as, they, you know, as that minus 15 degrees or more. The chances are at this time of year it's probably going to be around that that temperature uh, so minus 15 degrees or 5 degrees fahrenheit uh, if the crane if it's warmer than that though and the cranes are not there we'll head around again to the Ito crane sanctuary straight away we won't you know we won't even stop the bus if we can't see the cranes um well not long any longer than it takes to look out of the window or to to walk across the road and take a look um, but basically we'd go over to the Ito crane sanctuary which is about five minutes down the road and then we'll try to catch some, um, as the sun does come up, we'll sort of get set up and we'll, as the sun starts to hit the cranes and the ground, then hopefully we'll get, you know, as they start to sort of rejoice, I like that word, um, as, the, as the word, not the word, as the, um, you know, the, the sun starts to hit them, uh, they will probably start to sort of do a little bit of dancing and sort of courtship dances and hopefully that uh, that will be if it's cold enough their breath will freeze so we can get a little bit uh, stereotypical but you know it, it's great to sort of try and catch those um, I've only got one or two shots where they've got a little bit of breath showing but if you get them early enough on a cold morning um, then you know you can get some spectacular shots there so we'll try and do that before breakfast and then we'll head back to the hotel 
And then after that, we will go back to the sanctuary again and try to catch some more shots of the cranes uh, for the rest of that morning. And that will have given us um, just over a full day shooting cranes. Now, I know that, you know, we know that wildlife shooting can take a lot of uh, patience and you really need to spend a lot more time. But to maximize our time while we are there, um, this will be it for crane shooting. Um, but we'll have learned a few things as well. Um, we'll have practiced a few different styles of uh, shooting and hopefully bagged a hell of a lot of good shots. Um, after that, in the afternoon, and when we move is really up to us, but um, once we move from there, we'll go over to the Kusharo Lake, which is where we'll spend the rest of the afternoon um, and we'll be photo photographing hooper swans or whooper swans. I don't even know how you say this. W-H-O-O-P-E-R. Hooper swans or whooper swans. And uh, they, I would imagine it's hooper, actually. <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on. Um, an example image of that is uh, number 894. The lake will be frozen, um, of course, in, at this time of year, but... Um, there is a small area where hot springs flow into the lake, and that's what's making the sort of misty effect that you can see in image number 894. Um, this is also the only reason why the swans choose to winter here as opposed to heading much further south to the warmer climes. And again, uh, you know, we'll stay here until it gets well into twilight, and this way we'll be able to get some more panning shots. Um, there are a number of shots of the swans in flight on on the double what did the mbpworkshops.com site and on my own site um they're both my own sites what am i talking about uh the main site uh so you know if you want to see the shots from here it's very easy to do that on my in my online, gal online gallery uh but really you know this is just a quick example and you can also see here how many birds there are this is just like one area and these are all at the moment actually waiting to be fed. That's another reason why they why they winter here, because they they actually sell in like a there's a, a few huts here and buildings where um, you can actually get a warm. You can go in and sort of have something to eat and drink and warm yourself up if you start to get too cold. But also they sell um, feed like grain to sell to um, to sell to the swans, uh, to give to the swans. And that's another reason why they hang around here because they get fed. The following morning on Wednesday the 30th, it will be another pre-dawn departure as we head to the Bihoro Pass for a winter landscape shoot at sunrise. And you can see an example shot from here in image number 886. Again, it will be cold, so you'll need to be prepared. We'll get to um, what you'll actually need to bring shortly. Uh, after shooting at the Bihoro Pass, we'll head uh, back to the hotel for breakfast and then we'll start a long drive to Raosu, uh, R-A-U-S-U, uh, where we'll photograph the eagles and the deer. And if it's there, uh, the, we'll also see some of the sea ice flows uh, before sundown. And Naosu is on the southeastern edge uh, of the Shiretoko Peninsula, which is uh, registered as a UNESCO lateral heritage, heritage site. Uh, because it's on, the, on that side, though, uh, of the peninsula, we won't see a sunset on this day. So even if weather permits, we won't, we won't be able to shoot that. But it's possible that there'll be some uh, ice flows, so that will make something to, uh, 
to feast our eyes and our, our digital sensors or film upon. The following morning, though, on the uh, Thursday the 31st, weather permitting, we have another highlight of the workshop, and that will be to head out into the uh, Naosu Harbour uh, on a chartered boat, and we'll photograph the stellar eagles, the stellar sea eagles, and the white-tailed eagles then. And probably also, uh, if you know, again, weather permitting, um, we'll see a sunrise from the boat, and that that's um, you know also the, this can make for some pretty spectacular shots because the birds are often flying around uh, over in front of the sun's disc or or the the area of the sky that is bright as the sun comes up. So um, lots of different uh, opportunities here, and they also sort of they sit. They'll actually what they do is the the people on the boat throw. Um, like squid heads and well, squid and fish heads and things out onto the ice, so that attracts the birds. And what they'll do is they'll sort of they'll get a full belly and then they'll just sort of lounge around on the on the ice. So um, similar to what we can see in shot number two six seven from my two thousand and four trip, uh, you know we will get sort of these opportunities where they're actually sitting around as well. Obviously, much easier to to shoot than uh, than panning around in the sky, but um, that's really one of the main things that we'll be trying to do as well. And I'll be, um, you know, showing you some techniques on how to shoot these birds, um, especially as they fly around the boat. And we'll cover the, um, the previous night, we'll cover over dinner, um, you know, those sort of techniques that you want to use um, while we're out there. But also I'll be helping you do that on the boat. Um, the eagles that uh, in the shot that I just mentioned are stellar sea eagles. So uh, to see some white-tailed eagles, uh, you can take a look at image number 874. And this was shot at the Akan Crane Center, actually, not from this boat, although there, there are many white-tailed. There's probably a, about as many white-tailed eagles as there are stellar sea eagles that we'll see from the boat. And that's a lot, by the way. You know, I'm not talking one or two birds. I'm talking like swarms of them. Um, and but this this one shot that I just mentioned is from was shot at the Akan International Train, Crane Center, um, and I'm including this uh, just because it's uh, you know it's one of my favourite shots of the white crane the white tailed eagles, and uh, but you will see a lot more of these when we get to Dalsa, um and you know as I say they're just going to be swarming around. Um, we have to actually be careful not to try and catch everything because you can sort of get so overwhelmed at uh, you know, flailing your camera around at everything that you really, you fail to get a good shot. So we'll sort of get into that uh, while we're on the boat as well. After that, we'll go back to the hotel for breakfast and then possibly find some eagles and deer in the trees surrounding the town as we start to head out to drive to Utoro on the other side of the peninsula. This is usually just a drive through the mountains uh, taking about 30 minutes, but in the winter the road is impassable because of the snow, so we have to go around, taking about three hours unfortunately. Here we'll visit a nature centre partway up into the mountains and we'll hopefully be able to photograph the Ezodia uh, in their element, as I did in image number 927. The other attraction in Utoro is that there is um, a much higher chance of seeing some spectacular sea ice. Um, and, I'm, and I don't mean just like shallow sort of ice that we saw in the, in the, the eagle shot earlier. 
I mean like big, um, not icebergs, but you know, big sea ice uh, that will, it makes for some very nice shots. Um, the ice flows make their way here though from Siberia to this point. And the reason why there's less chance of seeing them in Balsu, where we'll be the day before, is that the Shiritoko Peninsula that we're actually on here stops the ice flow from from working its way much further south. Um, it does sort of make its way around the tip and goes down as far as now, so sometimes I've seen it there. Uh, in fact, obviously you, you've seen a certain amount of it in the last few, in the last shot, but um, it doesn't uh, make its way around there as readily as it does to the Utoro side. So, you know, if we get some some good ice flows, then that will make uh, for some spectacular shots as well. And the other good thing about Utoro is that we're now on the northwestern coast of the peninsula. So at this time of year, if the weather permits, uh, we'll have a sunset to shoot at the end of the day. So with the, the beautiful winter landscapes, um, that could make for, for some nice shots as well, as long as you still have energy um, to, to actually get out and shoot them. By the morning um, of the last day, Friday, uh, many of you will be ready for a nice lie-in in a warm bed or a futon, which uh, depending on what we, uh, uh, you know, the, on what we get at the hotel, and we'll probably give the bus driver a lie-in too. But depending on the weather and your energy levels, there will be another dawn shoot uh, close to the hotel. You can often find that the deer come down into the town around the around the dawn. Um, even during the day sometimes, but uh, there's more coming around the town during the dawn. Um, so we may well get some nice shots, uh, even just out, out you know, from the back of the, the hotel's car park and places like that. And because uh, Hokkaido is a very natural place, there's a lot of um, trees in the surrounding areas. So it'll be easy to get some relatively sort of wild looking images, even within a short distance of the hotel, I would imagine. Um, so we'll do some landscape work after breakfast again, weather permitting. Um, uh, if the, again, if the ice flows are there, we'll go out and shoot those before we move on, and possibly again some more deer. And if we're lucky, uh, we may see a fox. And then mid-morning, we'll start to work our way over to Mimambetsu, uh, where there is an airport, and that's uh, that's where we'll um, you know we'll slowly. As we get to move towards there, we'll try to catch some landscape shots um, as we as time allows. Um, but then, you know, as we move over towards the Memanbetsu Airport, um, we basically, uh, you know, we're coming towards the end of the workshop. And then in the mid-afternoon, uh, that will be it. We'll take the flight back to Haneda uh, in Tokyo and we'll go our separate ways. Uh, the itinerary is subject to change during the workshop based on weather conditions and um, you also need to note that although I'll do my best to keep us on track, there's always a chance in a place like Hokkaido that severe weather conditions could set in, stopping us from doing some of these things. Um, by signing up, you'll, I'm, I'm really, I think we've got no choice to say that by signing up, you agree that you know I'm I can't do anything about the weather conditions, and if it doesn't go exactly according to plan, I can't really be held responsible. So, uh, you know that will be something that you agree. Um, so, let's get into a little bit about what sort of gear you need to bring.
obviously for starters you'll need one uh, SLR body, uh, camera body, and preferably a second SLR so that you can keep a telephoto on one and a standard zoom on the other so that you can capture birds far away with the telephoto but then also quickly grab your second camera with a standard zoom as, and catch them as they fly close or overhead. High-end digital cameras might work if they're relatively new and have virtually no shutter lag, but otherwise um, an SLR is really the way to go. You can be shooting film or digital, it doesn't really matter, but if you have a choice, go for digital. Um, the main reason is not because, although, the, although it's a very, a very large reason, is because of the instant feedback, um, but film can become very brittle in sub-freezing temperatures and you know, it just can be a pain to handle. So if you, um, you know, if you can shoot digital, make sure uh, that, you, you, that you do, uh, but also that you bring plenty of memory or uh, a laptop or portable storage to back up your shots so that you can format your cards and reuse them. Um, portable storage is probably the best thing because you'll be shooting a lot, probably a lot more than you normally would. And remember that on a lot of these days we're shooting from um, from dawn right up to, to sundown. Um, so you're, you're going to shoot a lot. So it'd be good if you, you know, make sure that you've got either enough film or um, enough memory cards to at least last for one day and then back up in the evening. Um, or as I say, you know, if you do have portable storage, you can back up during the day um, and that will sort of keep you, keep your memory cards free. Um, I do suggest that you try to make double backups as well um, because you know the the if you have portable storage the chances are very slim but the hard disk could go and what I usually do is take a second hard drive and I back up to that um, or if you have a, if you're bringing a laptop or something then you can back up to those as well but I realize that coming most of you that come from overseas will uh, will want to keep your weight down so of course it's up to you uh, but just you just need to make sure that you have enough memory or film to see you see yourself uh, through the through the entire uh, five days with regards to lenses you'll need a telephoto lens as I mentioned no shorter than 200 millimeters I think that you won't be able to have um, a good time with anything shorter than 200 millimeters but 300 millimeters or longer is advisable if you have a 100 to 400 millimeter zoom that will work great uh, the 70 to 300s will work good as well um, if you have anything longer, a 400, 500 or 600 millimeter lens, bring it. Uh, standard lenses like a 70 to 200 millimeter is perfect for both landscapes and closer wildlife uh, work. And mid-range zooms like the 24 to 105 will also be um, a useful tool while you're there, a good all-round lens. If your um, mid-range zoom doesn't go so wide, uh, not really necessary, but a separate wide-angle lens, either a prime or a zoom, um, for landscape work will work as well. Um, and we may have some use for macro lenses, but if weight is an issue, um, you don't need to, to beat yourself up too much about leaving it out. You'll need to get a, um, you'll need to bring a good sturdy tripod, and it, if possible, um, if you're buying for the for the trip. Um, you know, or you have multiple tripods, bring the longest one that you have 
and if possible one that is higher than your own eye level when standing up straight and I say higher than your eye level because the legs will sink in the snow and in some conditions it can sink down by a couple of feet so you know you the, the longer your tripod legs the better um, if you can bring a, uh, both a tripod and a monopod then a monopod will be useful uh, for shooting from the boat and for panning shots uh, but again this isn't critical and I know that weight's going to be a, a thing for most of you um, we, what you can do is use your tripod, just extend one of the legs um, further than the others and then you know that, that will give you a, a makeshift monopod. So you know basically you, you don't need to bring that uh, but if you can then and you know if it's not too, big, too much of a pain then do. Um, you'll want to bring a pol polarizer filter that fits at least your wide angle or your standard uh, focal length lenses. Not so important for the longer lenses, but if you have them, I suggest you bring them. Um, and battery life is greatly diminished in sub-zero temperatures. So bring lots of spare batteries. If you shoot digital, bring at least four batteries. Uh, but seriously, I advise you to bring as many as possible. Um, the, the trick is to keep them warm in your pocket and then you circulate them. So keep them warm, put them in, they go dead quickly. You put them back in your pocket and they revitalize. Um, but even then, you know, they, they don't revitalize. You can't do that and get the same number of shots out of them that you normally would. So you have to make sure that you've got plenty of battery life. Even if you shoot film, the chances are that you're, you know, the, a lot of old film cameras, you change the battery once every few years or at least like maybe six months or so. Even if you're using film, bring at least one, hopefully two spare batteries because they'll go flat as well. If you do shoot uh, film, bring enough for like three weeks shooting. As I say, you're going to shoot a lot. There's going to be a lot to, to photograph um, as, we, as we sort of move through the workshop. Um, maybe not as much if we weren't doing any tuition, but still a place like Hokkaido, you don't go there um, without coming away with a lot of, a lot of shots. Uh, as I mentioned, the Hokkaido winter is not for the faint-hearted, with temperatures ranging from zero. Um, it, in the wintertime, it does occasionally go above freezing, but generally you've got to think that it's going to be zero um, down to maybe up to 30 degrees, minus 30 degrees Celsius. So that's from 32 degrees to minus 22 degrees Fahrenheit. The minus 30s or 22 degrees Fahrenheit are rare, but not unheard of. Um, the shot that I that we looked at earlier from the Bihoro Pass, it was minus 20 degrees then. Uh, that's Celsius, so well, that's 10 degrees more than... Um, I'm, I'm not used to this Fahrenheit thing, uh, but it's... Uh, let's see, if zero is 32 Fahrenheit and minus 30 is 22, we're probably talking like minus um, 5, minus 10 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that. So, uh, no, that's really the early morning shoots, though. Um, it once during the day it'll probably be a little bit warmer um in the sort of you know between zero and minus ten uh but seriously though you need to be protected you want to protect yourself and your equipment from these uh, from these conditions for this you'll need um large plastic bags to fit your entire camera bag in and clips or some sort of tie to keep it airtight uh, I actually use one of the low pro camera bags. I won't be using it on this um, trip because I'll be taking the my long lens. But um, 
I use one bag that actually has airtight zips. Um, if you have those, that's ideal. You won't need the camera bags, but you'll need to know that your bag is airtight or at least has uh, like the, the watertight uh, zips. And that way, uh, what, what that's for is to stop your gear from getting condensation on when you move from the cold into the warm. Um, we have to always make sure that before we get on, you know, into the, the hotel, you have to put your camera back in the bag and seal it up or put your camera into a smaller plastic bag and seal it up. So that way um, it won't, won't get com condensation on when you move into the warm. Um, also, uh, to protect your, uh, your camera while shooting, a, ca a, a, you know, a waterproof uh, you know, cover will work good. They sell them at most cam big camera stores. Uh, but if you don't have that, again, plastic bags, elastic bands will work. Um, but I find that in sub-zero temperatures, it, obviously it's not going to rain, right? It's going to be snowing, if anything. And just draping a cloth or a towel over the camera uh, and the lens, you know, sort of leaving it short of the hood, will work pretty well um, because the snow just sort of drops on it. It's not going to, um, you know, the snow's not going to melt because it's too cold. So then you just sort of shake it off when it builds up. Uh, the the other thing there though is you know if you if you do have uh, the, the ability to get hold of one, um, a like a thermal padded camera cover works really well, and you can actually get them in Japan that have a pocket at the back to put in the uh, the uh, what is it the charcoal burners the hand warmers, and that actually keeps your camera a little bit warmer. And it will also, it allows access to the camera. It's got a window so that you can see, um, you know, through the viewfinder and the, the digital um, LCD. But also, you know, it keeps it warm, so that extends your battery life. So, um, you know, that's another thing to think about. And if you can't get hold of them, but you want one, um, I think they're like, they're something like $30 or so. I can pick some up. I can order a bunch of these for people that are coming over and then you pay me later or... Um, something like that so you know anything like that that you that you want the hand warmers as well uh, if you want me to pick those up before you come over let me know uh, well in advance um, because I'll probably buy all buy the shop out uh, but let me know well in advance and I'll try to order those and get them uh, ready for you when you come over here if you do already own um, the charcoal burner type hand warmers don't bring the charcoal with you because it will be confiscated on the plane um, even in your your checked luggage, uh, I had mine confiscated on my way back from uh, Hokkaido last year. Uh, that obviously tells you that I was a naughty boy and I actually took it with me. Um, but on the way back, I still had it in my pocket when I got to the airport. And I think they saw me sneak it into my checked luggage. Um, so they, they opened my bag and it was confiscated. Uh, not a big deal. I was on the way back. But next time, I swore to myself that I would um, send it to the hotel in advance what I'll do this time is I'll be sending my own to the bus company and they'll bring it with them. So the, the, the hand warmer itself, the burner itself is fine, but the charcoal can't be taken on the plane because it's combustible. So um, another thing to think of, if you want me to stock that for you and send it on, let me know. For yourself, you'll need some good thermal underwear, uh, long johns and thermal shirts, preferably long sleeved and one or two pairs of like padded trousers if you can, quilted trousers like the ones that they use for skiing, but not brightly colored. You know, we don't want any Elvis impersonations. 
um, you you'll scare the wildlife. So, you know, normal colours, blacks, beige, greens, khakis, those sort of things will be good. Um, you can get these in outdoor stores, and some of them are relatively cheap. Um, if you have waterproofs, like uh, you know, preferably Gore-Tex or something like that, then the the trousers and a um, a jacket will be great. And that, that and that way, actually, if you do have those, um, then it really means that you can buy re- the, the cheapest padded or or um, quilted trousers that they have because you can just drop the uh, there's some Gore-Tex trousers over the top if you have them. Um, I actually, for winter, I use a Gore-Tex down jacket, um, which means that I, I don't take a thin Gore-Tex for the, you know, like an over uh, jacket. Uh, my down jacket is actually um, Gore-Tex, so that works well. Um, but it, you need those layers. You need to be warm uh, or you, you can't concentrate on the uh, on your, fo- your photos. You basically... You're gonna have to, you're gonna have uh, trouble doing this to a certain extent anyway, um, you know, especially if we're standing around. But uh, what I generally find is, while it's exciting, your blood's rushing and you you can keep warm, um, but without the right clothing, no matter no amount of excitement is going to keep you warm, and it it is actually going to be dangerous. So, you know, we don't want any accidents. Uh, the best thing to do is make sure that you that you keep stay uh, you keep wrapped up and keep warm. You'll need some thermal boots or very, very thick boots with a good sole for walking on snow and ice, uh, or at least some good quality winter hiking boots and some thick, warm socks. Some, um, you know, a hat, uh, preferably one like those um, those bomber hats. I, I sometimes use uh, one of those. They come down over your ears. Or if you have a down jacket with a hood that, that comes up and then sort of wraps around the front of your face, that will help to keep the chill off, not only off your head and your ears, but also from your chin um, and your, you know, from around your neck. And you, you want a, th- a thin pair of thermal gloves, uh, preferably with some rubber grip and, or some ki- kind of um, like non-stick sort of material on the inside of the fingers and the palm so that you can actually operate your camera with uh, with the gloves on. Um, I find that fiddly work like um, changing uh, compact flashcards, things like that, can um, be difficult sometimes with thin gloves. But if you can find a pair of thin gloves that allow you to do that much, then you're laughing. That'll be great. You'll then also want um, a either good pockets that you can stick your hands in easily, um, preferably on a down jacket, or an additional pair of larger gloves, like down gloves, that you can put on. Mittens are good. Um, and put them on over the first pair of gloves, so that will keep your hands warm while we're standing around. Um, you want one or two polar fleeces. Um, depends how smelly you, guess, you get, I guess. Um, surprisingly enough, sometimes you do actually get quite hot um, with all of the layers, um, especially when you come onto the bus and you've still got them on. You take them off, but you can get a little bit sweaty sometimes. Um, and if you're like me, that means that you'll you'll start to mingle a little bit after a few days. So, um, you know, two polar fleeces is a good idea if you can if you can bring them. Um, also, you know, if you can't get fleeces, then some nice woolly jumpers or something like that, or sweaters if you're from the states. Uh, but you know, the the thing is that you know you just want to make sure that you've got like your underwear, a good mid layer uh, or two. And then um, a down jacket or something like that on the top. That will keep you nice and warm and, and, let, and give you enough 
uh, warmth to allow you to concentrate on your photography. Um, the one or two of the hand warmers, like I say, I I usually take two. Um, one um, I put in the in the camera uh, in the, the the you know to keep the camera warm. Another one I use in a pocket, or I'll, I'll grab it on my hands. But if I'm using two two cameras, um, then I'm, I may need both for the cameras. And then I use like the chemical hand warmers, um, Hokkaido, they're called in Japan. I use those sort of things uh, to, you know, to warm yourself up. Again, if people want these, uh, you can buy them for your feet as well, so that they're like they'll look like the front of the sole sole of your shirt, your um, shoe, and you drop them into your boots, and that will keep your feet warm for like half a day to a day. Um, if people want these, I can source them here and send them on. Uh, let me know, and I'll, you know, as long as I know the numbers, I can do that in advance and then just charge you later. Um, like the the camera covers, anything else, anything like that that you think you, that you want, but you you don't want to bring with you or you can't get yourself, let me know, and I'll take the orders and and I'll work it all out for us. Um, so all the all important question, um, the remaining question that I'm sure you all want to know, is uh, how much is this going to cost? Well. It's going to be US dollars uh, 1,950 or in yen 220,000 yen, whichever currency suits you. And this is pretty much all inclusive. So the in the included in the package, we have um, you know, like I say, almost everything from when we meet at Hanada Airport until we say goodbye at Hanada Airport. So that means that I have included the cost of the the domestic flights from um, Tokyo to Hokkaido and back, all accommodation and meals while we're there, the chartered bus and a professional driver to transport us all over the eastern side of Hokkaido, and there's a modest charge uh, for my tuition fees included in that, um, and also um, I've sort of built in a little bit of uh, cost for some supporting materials that I'll bring along and other administration fees. It also includes the admission fees for the planned facilities and the excursions that we'll do, like the chartered boat and the admission fee to the Akan International Crane Centre, things like that. So if unless you want to buy some, you know, you want extra beer or something in the evenings or you want to buy souvenirs and things, you wouldn't even ha actually have to bring any money with you. Um, so that's all inclusive at uh, 1950 US dollars uh, or 220,000 Japanese yen. Um, what that does not include is the your travel costs from your home country uh, to uh, Japan and the, the cost to get across from um, the Narita Airport to Haneda Airport. That's, a, that's about $30 or so. Um, but once you're at Haneda Airport, that's it. Uh, you know, if you live in Japan, I know that a few people that have that have wrote me saying you're interested actually live here in Japan. That's great. Uh, just make your way over to, to Tokyo. Um, but the cost of that is not included for anyone, including people coming in from out of the country. Um, I tried, but I'm not actually able to take out any travel insurance in Japan for people traveling into Japan from another country. So you will also be responsible for travel insurance and i i suspect that it will be easier for for you to just do that for the whole length of your trip so, so from when you leave home 
um, for your flight into Japan and everything, just cover yourself for the whole thing. And note that I, I also can't take out any insurance, uh, not, just for, not just travel insurance for yourself in case you get sick and things like that, but for your equipment. So really, all kinds of insurance, you have, you're, you're responsible for that yourself. Um, note that I cannot also take out uh, ins insurance um, for me as the operator of this tour uh, in case, say, you fall off the side of a frosty mountain. Um, the conditions are very harsh, and by signing up, you're agreeing to a certain amount um, to to partake in in something very similar to an extreme adventure holiday. So you know, if it's like, I don't know how this works, but if you want to jump off the side, if you want to start doing base jumping or something like that, no one's going to insure you. Um, but you know, that's it's not quite that bad. But with me um, at the moment, you know, I cannot take out insurance to to cover me as an operator. So you are also um, going to be basically agreeing by signing up that you won't hold me responsible um, if you can't listen to instructions and you end up with frostbite. You know, I I will help as much as I can, but at the end of the day, there are things that are out of my control. Um, so th these are the things that are not uh, included. This, um, let's see, like I say, your, your insurance for your equipment as well. I actually take out insurance on all of my equipment for domestic and international travel for certain pieces of equipment. So no matter where I take my equipment, um, I'm covered like internationally. Uh, if you don't have that sort of thing, you can probably tag it on to your travel insurance, um, but make sure that you have enough um, money to cover your, the, you know, the whole um, amount that your uh, equipment would cost to replace. Now, Japan is a safe country, um, but you know there there are uh, there's always a risk that someone um, could break into the hotel room while we're at dinner. Um, if you don't take your equipment down to the dinner or with you, then that's a, that's a risk we take. Um, but I usually uh, I usually find that you know I've been on these tours before. I've never heard of anything going wrong, but uh, I, I, that doesn't mean that it won't. So. Uh, you know, please do if you're worried about this in in uh, the slightest, and you're not prepared to shoulder the risk yourself. Cover yourself with insurance before you leave your own country um, until you get back. the The other thing that isn't included is, like I mentioned earlier, if you want a, a few more beers, what I'll probably do is we'll ha we'll have a few bottles of beer that come out with the with the evening meals. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll I've budgeted for a certain amount. If you want more than that or you want other stuff, say you want a bottle of whiskey or something to really try to mess up your, your um, pre-dawn rising for the pho photography. Um, if, if you want more than, than comes out in the normal sort of budget, then you'll need to pay for that yourself. Um, also, there may be, say, weather conditions stop us from doing certain things. We may decide to go um, to other places if... For instance, we couldn't go on the boat, that would free up some budget, so I would shoulder that, obviously. But if, say, we went on the boat and then we, we all decided that we want to go somewhere else um, and that costs more money, if it's a lot of money, then I won't be able to cover it. Um, if it's a little bit, I'll probably be able to. So there's just these sort of things as well. But apart from that, it's pretty much all in. Um, as I say, the the bus, the hotels, the, the domestic flights, everything, meals, it's all included in the prices that I quoted a moment ago. So... Uh, what do you do next if you're still interested? What I'm going to do, I've not put them in place yet, but in the next, um, probably tomorrow, um, but 
probably by the time most of you listen to this, I will place um, a button on the mbpworkshops.com page at the bottom there uh, that will basically be a payment button for you to pay uh, either with a PayPal account or with a credit card. Um, it's the same place, but if you if you don't want to create an account or you don't already have a PayPal account, then you will um, you know you can actually just use a credit card and pay right there. Uh, I'll put one button for dollars and one button for yen. Um, the thing is here, I'm going to give as an incentive for you to book early so that I know how many people uh, really want to come. As an incentive, I'm going to include an early bird discount of $100 or 10,000 yen. Um, so if you book before October the 15th, then you will get the, uh, you know, well, you'll get this workshop for... 1850 US dollars or 210,000 uh Japanese yen. So that's that's like I say $100 or 10,000 yen less than the amount that I just quoted a few moments ago. After October the 15th, I will continue to take bookings until the places are filled or until it's too late for us to actually get into the hotels and things. Um and when when that happens, I'll state that on the page. It'll, I'll put a sold out uh, sticker up there or something. Um, but I I really urge you to to book as early as you can to avoid disappointment. Um, the like I say the what after October the fifteenth, the price will go back to the original price that I quoted earlier. So if you want to uh, sort of cash in on the early bird discount. Uh, get the get the workshop for one thousand eight hundred and fifty dollars or two hundred and ten thousand yen. Uh, book before October the fifteenth, two thousand and seven. Um, so, like I say, the buttons aren't there yet, but they will be within the next twenty four to forty eight hours. I'll probably get it done tomorrow. If you're interested, but you still have outstanding questions or queries, please don't hesitate to contact me with the contact us button on the website or on the main site at martinbaileyphotography.com or just mail me on workshops at martinbaileyphotography.com. If you do use one of the web forms, please double check your mail address in the form because if it's not valid, I obviously won't be able to get back to you. Uh, you will also be CC'd in the email that you send me from the contactors form. So if you don't see a copy of the mail, uh, that means that you, you got something wrong in your address. So do it again. Um, either way, if you don't hear back from me within 48 hours, please mail again. Um, you know, it's possible that, uh, that it, it got lost, very unlikely. But please do mail again if you don't hear back within 48 hours. And that's about it. It's That's pretty long. Um, we're going to go over an hour here. Um, but there was a lot to tell you, and I, I hope that it's been worth your while. Um, and I guess the only thing that remains to say is that I look forward to seeing you in Hokkaido for the Winter Wildlife uh, Workshop of a Lifetime. So that's it for today. Hopefully, even if you aren't planning on joining us, it was good to hear what we'll be getting up to next January. I really do urge you to consider coming though, and if you do want to go, uh, try to get your booking in before October the 15th for, to get that early bird discount. Uh, you know, sure, it's not cheap, um, but when you consider all of the things that we'll be doing and the, the cost of the flights, chartering buses, hotels, meals and everything, um, I think that you'll you'll be able to appreciate that it's really not that uh, 
that expensive. And uh, as I say, there's there's only a very um, small, modest sort of tuition fee in there for me as well. But I'll definitely be making it uh, a very, very worthwhile trip for you from both a photography, you know, what you'll take away perspective and from the the learning aspect. You're definitely going to learn a lot while you're there. And uh, like I say, I really just can't wait to to see you over there. Uh, If you would like to join the workshop to brush up on your photography um, and meet new friends, but my workshop doesn't quite fit your bill or your budget, then you might also want to consider a few of the other Photocast Network members' workshops that are also being planned at the moment. Namely, John Arnold is currently taking bookings for his photo walkthrough workshop. That's going to be held in the UK um, at the Crew Hall, which is a wonderful old stately home. The workshop is being co-hosted by Chris Marquardt of the Tips from the Top Floor podcast and the course will cover elements of composition, lighting, post-processing and printing. And the cost includes uh, nights in the hotel as well as a bed and breakfast and evening meal in their award-winning bistro. All the details are available at www.photowalkthrough.com slash workshop and there's an early booking discount for this too of £50 uh, for those that sign up before the end of December. Chris Marquardt is holding uh, his four workshops in the US uh, titled Learning to See, each being four days and extending over a weekend so people won't have to take off more time than necessary. The workshops will start on September the 22nd in Colorado and then cover Uh, California, Minnesota and Florida throughout the month of October. The course will be highly interactive focusing on image composition and the general topic of seeing a picture before you take it and as with the the Tips from the Top Floor podcast everyone is welcome no matter if it's like with an entry-level point-and-shoot camera or a fancy digital SLR. So with that you know it really has turned out to be a photography workshop special Again, I hope you found it useful and I really do urge you to get involved in one of these and you'll be amazed just how much you grow as a photographer having taken some professional tuition like this. So thanks for listening and you have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye. Photocastnetwork.com Your photography resource in the potosphere. Photocastnetwork.com